Amen. Thank you, Wall. Great song, great thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible. If you go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I believe. Those are powerful words. James chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. And uh, we'll be on page 893. Page 893, James chapter 4. We have been, uh, on Sunday mornings, working our way through a series on great truths communicated through simple words. Profound things, of course, are best understood when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When complex things are communicated with difficult words, they are often misunderstood or not understood at all. And so God makes sure that the things that are the most important to Him are communicated to us simply, in fact, he often repeats them uh, for additional emphasis. Uh, after seeing a list of 916 verses in our Bible that are all one-syllable words other than numbers and names, I prayerfully put together a uh, series on some thoughts from these great truths communicated simply. Last time I spoke, uh, when we were in the series, we talked about walking by faith. We talked about how everything that we can see is temporary, and it will one day burn. We talked about how there is a God who is worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith. We talked about how that when someone is walking by faith, it shows up in our life. Uh, faith is evidence. It is substance. It is not just a feeling in our heart. And we closed encouraging one another to trust the God of the Bible, to live by faith, knowing that he has a better plan for life, and that his plan for life will help us in eternity as well. And today, as we begin a new year, many of us, uh, including myself, uh, have goals and plans for the coming year. In fact, if you haven't done that yet, I hope you will do that. I actually believe that setting goals and having future plans is better than not doing so. I believe that doing so is an important part of growth. I think God intended us all of our life to grow. All our life. And so every year I do this personal evaluation. Every year I make those sheets available uh, to you. In fact, they'll be on the welcome tables after uh, service. Uh, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit exhorted Peter to tell believing people to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, for those who set goals and make plans, uh, it's easy to just assume will be around to try to fulfill those goals and plans. And for those who don't bother to set goals or plans, it's easy to assume you'll be around to change later. Somebody said, savor every sunrise because we have no promise of tomorrow or even the rest of today. Yeah. Someone said, some people ruin today worrying about tomorrow when we don't have a promise of tomorrow. If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, and honor the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is, I plan to do that tomorrow. I plan to do that tomorrow. James chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this 
for that. I think you might be seated. Many people look at the book of James as being comparable to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, being a New Testament book of the wisdom of God. And in this particular section of James, the Holy Spirit is teaching us about planning and setting goals for tomorrow. James begins by calling those who take for granted that they'll have tomorrow to fulfill uh, their business plan. In verse 13, he says, go to, that go to means come on now. Come on now, ye that say, uh, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. See, to plan to move to another city and stay there a year and make money and take your life for granted is a mistake. He tells them that they're missing something. Come on now. Uh, They're missing something important to just take for granted that their business plan for next year will go on without a hitch. Their life will continue Undoubtedly. And though we should plan, it is unwise to fail to have a contingency plan in case something doesn't go as expected. See, only God knows the future with 100% certainty, and anyone who pretends they know the future are just kidding themselves. I have yet to read the newspaper headline or news headline because nobody reads the newspaper anymore. A palm reader wins jackpot at lottery. Never read it, never going to read it. I hope you're not taking tomorrow for granted. Not acting like the next year of your life is a sure thing. But James doesn't criticize planning. He criticizes taking it for granted that you'll be alive for a year to fulfill your plan. In verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. You see, anyone who doesn't make a contingency plan is acting as if they know what tomorrow holds. They just assume that they'll be alive through the coming year. Uh, And James then likens our life unto a vapor, a little puff of steam. A puff that's impressive for a second, and then it's gone. Vapor is not like steel. Vapor is not like gold. Vapor is not like wood. It's not like straw. Vapor is very temporary and very fragile. And he reminds us about how fragile our lives really are. In fact, you may be here this morning in the strength of your youth, but hear me when I say your life is still just a vapor, though it may seem mighty compared to others. You may be living like the coming decades are promised to you, or that human lifespans are actually impressive. The Bible says a day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years as a day. The longest individual uh, who lived was Methuselah. He lived 969 years, I think that's right. And that that means he didn't even live live a day in God's calendar. I mean, after all, what is 80 to 100 years if we're lucky compared to the 150 to 200 previous generations between us and Adam? Listen, very few people have done anything that survives more than two or three generations. But what is 80 to 100 years if we're lucky compared to the multiplied millions of years that remain in the future because every human being has an eternal soul and our Creator plans for there to be no end to the kingdom of Christ. 
By the way, I hope you're enjoying whatever strength in life our God has allowed you to have, but I also hope that you have some grasp on the fact that each of our lives are just a vapor here. And then he gives us the right attitude about tomorrow in the simplest terms, that our life and tomorrow are in the Lord's hands. Verse 15, all one-syllable words. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills it, we will live tomorrow in health and strength. If the Lord wills it, we will not get to see the morning light. If the Lord wills it, our business plans will be successful. If the Lord wills it, our business plans are futile. See, all of our plans should be made in the light of the fact that God holds the future of the world, our jobs, our health, and our life in His loving and omnipotent hands. God couldn't have reminded us of the fragility of life and uncertainty of tomorrow any more clearly or simply than He chose to do here with one-syllable words. I'm sure I echo the experience of many here when I say I've known teenagers to leave their home to go to work in the morning and not come home because of a bad accident. I've known adults of all ages who seem to be in the picture of the health to get the news that they have weeks to live. I've known people for whom the doctors uh, called in the family and said, you better come in, because if you don't come in tonight, you're not going to see them anymore. And I've known those people to live for years. I'm just saying to you this morning that our life is fragile, and it is in God's hands, and if God wills, we live, we live. And if God wills, we don't. We won't. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us this through James so that we live today in fear of whether we will make it tomorrow, but rather so that we would have the right perspective on our life and planning for the future. Some people say the 1946 James Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is the most watched Christmas movie of all time. Now, quite frankly, since it was made in 1946, it's had a lot more time than other popular Christmas movies that are more recent, like Elf or Home Alone, to be viewed. But in that movie, uh, the main character, George Bailey, he's played by James Stewart, he says these words. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm going to leave this little town far behind. I'm going to see the world, Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and I'll go to college and see what they know. Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories tall. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Not surprisingly, George doesn't accomplish any of those things. Hear me when I say no one ought to be so certain of tomorrow here or our plans for tomorrow here because our life is just a vapor and because the Lord has his own plans for tomorrow. And I just remind everybody, his plans are better than ours. And what I'd like to do this morning for just a couple of moments is make some observations and applications of our life being a vapor.
Please first turn back in your Bible to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Is it just me or is it a little hot in here? How many people are hot? How many people are cold? How many people are just right? All right, there we go. It's just like our houses. Nobody can agree on what the temperature should be. Got an equal number of people happy and sad, which is about the best we can do. Here's number one. We need to live and plan like we'll still be here tomorrow. Now, it's unfortunate you don't hear preachers say this enough. We need to live and plan like we'll still be here tomorrow. Notice what he says, the wise man here says in verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 20 of Proverbs 21. He, He says, there's a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it all up. Notice that if you're wise, you save something. And if you're foolish, you spend it all up immediately. Someone said, don't get so busy watching out for what's ahead that you fail to enjoy where you are now. And the wise man here teaches us that those who would be wise financially prepare for the future to save something instead of spending it all. I'm told that 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and that nearly half of American households whose income is over $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. That means it's not just a problem with the poor. See, most of us know it isn't easy to live within our means, but those who are wise figure out a way to do so. Uh, By the way, when it comes to handling our finances and our future, it's never good to be in a hurry either. Look at verse 5 of Proverbs 21. It says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to want. If you're in a hurry you're always going to end up lacking. By the way, if you find some scheme that seems too good to be true, it probably is. Don't lift your hand, but I'm sure there's quite a lot of people here who have a couple of personal experiences where some idea that you thought was going to make you a lot of money fast didn't pan out. We were warned about that. If we choose to plan and live like we'll still be here tomorrow, we'll manage our money in a way that reflects that. I get it. If you're here and you're you're a young adult, especially a young adult raising a family, your money's going to be tight. That's just part of being young. Quit whining about it. But listen, uh, money being tight and living above our means are two different things. Wise people live and plan as if they'll still be here tomorrow. But it isn't just in how we handle our money. It's also in how we handle our relationships. Look what he says about us and our parents in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 20. It says, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Uh, in other words, you better watch uh, tearing your mom and dad down. So you don't know them, they deserve it. Well, they might, but they probably also have some things that are good, too. Go back a few chapters to the beginning in chapter 1. By the way, I hope you read Proverbs regularly. It's the wisdom of God. Timeless. 
Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. Notice your father's instruction and your mother's laws are likened unto jewelry. Interesting. Someone said, tomorrow is never promised, so we need to be sure we appreciate the people in our life today. Someone also said, we're never promised tomorrow, so leave no apology or I love you left unsaid. You see, wise people understand that the great majority of parents are trying to help and improve their children. Now, while it may be a common thing to go through a phase where you don't really listen to your parents like you should, listen, though, even though it's common, it's not a good thing. And if we live like we are going to be here tomorrow, we invest in our marriage, we invest in our parents, we invest in our children, we invest in our relationships. Listen, the life of every productive human being And the life of every faithful Christian is a busy life. If you're not living a busy life, what that means is you are either not a faithful Christian or not a productive human being or both. And so you can just decide that, well, I don't care if I'm a faithful Christian. I don't care if I'm a productive human being because I don't want to be busy. You can go ahead and do that, but that's not the way I want to live my life. I would rather embrace being busy By the way, busy and hurried are not the same thing. I would rather learn to embrace being busy because I want my life to count for something in this world and with my family and for Christ. Jesus in the New Testament taught the same things. Manage our time and our money well. To invest in relationships with people. Do, do, Do you know... Probably the biggest reason why there's such an explosion of um, pets and pet stores. I mean, people spend thousands. I I know people who've had hips replaced on their dog. Thousands of dollars. You're sitting here, you did it. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I I swore I would never spend more uh, on a dog... Uh, who was sick, then it would cost me to get a new one. And then I had an incident with a dog and my wife uh, won the situation. Listen, uh, our relationship with pets are easy. People are tough. By, By the way, you're not always easy to get along with, and neither am I. It's so easy to have relationships with pets. And so people, they invest in their pets and all this is tied up in their pet. And they don't make this effort in relationships with people. But tomorrow, if you're here, you're going to want those relationships. Can I tell you, one of the most difficult things you'll ever face is the cold, clammy hand of loneliness. Invest in relationships. Live and plan as if you'll be here tomorrow. 
Though our life is a vapor and we can't be certain of what will happen tomorrow, in some ways we live in plan like we'll be here. I know of people, literally, who didn't save for retirement because they thought Jesus would be back by now. I know of people who take very poor care of their house as if they don't need some place to live tomorrow. I know of people who live so selfishly, they've burned bridges with siblings, spouses, and children, and parents who want to have a relationship with them. And, and I get it. There, there are occasions when you want to have a relationship and you do everything you can, and that person is just not open to that. I, I get that. Uh, but th- that's an exception. That's not the rule. Some people are so consumed with the false idea that man's going to destroy this planet that they carelessly live as if there's no chance they'll be here in 20 years. Listen, man's not going to destroy this planet. God's going to destroy this planet. He's going to burn it up. And he's going to make it new. You know what? Those people, they might just be here in 20 years. And so you should live and plan like you'll be here. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Should live and plan as if we'll be here tomorrow. Our life is a vapor. I know. But your vapor might be here tomorrow. This is a New Testament principle that applies to so many things. In fact, this principle is so obvious that even the world speaks about it when they say, what goes around comes around. You heard that phrase before? All that is is a different way of of stating a principle that God stated, and this applies to how we handle our life. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Notice this next verse, and, and it's so significant that these pronouns are plural. He says, And let us not be weary. He doesn't say, and don't you be weary. And so what, the, what this means is even the great apostle himself at times struggled with, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. L- listen, that whole principle of you're going to get out of life what you invest in life, that's a biblical principle. Listen, if you're younger here and you don't make an effort to get a skill in education, don't come whining to me later when you're the first person fired and you never have any job opportunities. I didn't say go to college. I said get a skill or a meaningful education. Don't go to college and get basket weaving. Oh, master's degree in basket weaving. Well, that'll help. I mean, a meaningful education or a skill makes a difference in your life. Go ahead, burn every bridge. 
Live selfishly above your means. But don't be surprised when you're lonely and more poor than you needed to be in the latter years of your life. You see, I want to be sure we have a proper perspective on life so that I can be sure that I'm investing in something in case I'm still here tomorrow. I might not be, but if I am, I want to be prepared. I know my life is a vapor. I know I have no promise of tomorrow, but I just might still be here a year from today. And so I say to you the same thing I say to myself, live and invest in meaningful things in life and relationships as if you'll still be here. Let me ask you, are you someone who carelessly handles decisions with your life as if you won't be here tomorrow? Show me someone who no longer believes they'll be here tomorrow who's in anything other than an end-of-life scenario, and I'll show, show you someone who's lost the most important thing to have in life, hope. Someone said we must live with hope for tomorrow, though tomorrow may never come. You know, as I said earlier, sometimes in church, I, I, I think we've talked so much about and, and by the way, I do believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I do believe that. I, I do believe we don't have any promise of tomorrow. I, I do believe that also. But I think sometimes that's all we talk about. And sometimes it hurts the people of God. Because they don't properly invest and handle their life and relationships as if they might be here. If you're living in a way that reflects that you won't be here tomorrow, I would just urge you to repent and live more wisely because you just might be here tomorrow. Which gets us to our second thing today. Please go next in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I was just curious who else was warm in here. My body temperature uh, meter is not running very well. And um, so no, kind of no matter where I am, I'm either freezing or boiling. As far as I know, my mind is still fine. A little warped and twisted like usual, but still fine. Here's the second thing. Today, number two, we need to live and plan like we'll no longer be here tomorrow. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And if this verse isn't highlighted or underlined in your Bible, it should be. This is just a great practical Bible truth. Hebrews 9, 27. As is it appointed unto men once to die? After this, the judgment. You say that's the exact opposite of what you just said. It's true, but you know, there's a ditch in both sides of life. There's a ditch in one side of life that says, well, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, no way. And then there's a ditch in the other side of life that, that uh, says, I'm sure I'll be here. Someone said God has promised forgiveness to our repentance, but he's not promised tomorrow to our procrastination. Someone also said, we're not promised to be here tomorrow. We are promised a meeting with God the day after tomorrow. <laughs> and though none of us know when we'll keep this appointment with either death or judgment, hear me when I say we will all keep our appointment with death and judgment. You say, well, I don't believe that. Uh, you will. 
You will. Hey, listen, what you believe or I believe, it doesn't change the truth one bit. The truth is the truth. God's truth is God's truth. Whether you believe this or not, you will face the judgment as will I and give account of myself. Our appointment with death is pretty obvious. We've all seen that in our physical lives. Our appointment with judgment is equally obvious, though we can only see that through our spiritual eyes because God tells us about it in His Word. Everybody here, including myself, will stand before God and give an account of themselves. No one then will be able to blame anyone for what you did or failed to do. You, you will never, uh, you may sit here today and say, well, if this preacher wouldn't have done that, if this person wouldn't have done that, if my parents would have done this, if this person wouldn't, uh, listen, you may do that today, but you will never do that, and neither will I when we face God. We will give account of ourselves. I will give account of what I did, and I'll give an account for my influence. You'll give an account for what you did and uh, your influence. You won't give an account for what I did. You won't say at judgment, well, Brother Wally, he was just too mean. You, you won't say it. You're not saved. You're not faithful to Christ this morning. Listen, it has nothing to do with what other sinful people did or failed to do. Nothing. That excuse may make sense to you now, but I'm telling you, someday when we face God, it will not make sense. Everybody here has had enough exposure to the truth and exposure to people who live the truth reasonably that we will all be without excuse. So in light of the certainty of death, and judgment along with the uncertainty of tomorrow. Go please next in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I know some preachers don't do it, but I like to turn to a lot of pages in the Bible. I, I, I think the important thing is that someone preaches and teaches the Bible. There's probably more than one way you can do that and fit into the parentheses of preaching and teaching the Bible. I'm just saying I personally like to turn to a lot of different places in the Bible. Uh, a, it keeps you involved. And B, it causes uh, you to become more familiar with more places in the Bible. I like that. But in light of the certainty of death and judgment along with the uncertainty of tomorrow, uh, we need to make sure of our own salvation. Notice the 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Listen, if Christ is not in you, you're a reprobate. And if Christ is in you, you're not reprobate. And he tells the church in Corinth to... Examine themselves. Listen, you should examine yourself this morning. First, examine yourself about your own salvation. Is Christ in your life? Are you just a Baptist? You just come here because of friends and family. Is Christ in your life? 
That's the most important thing. Examine yourselves. But it isn't just examine yourself about your salvation. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. And the phrase the faith refers to uh, New Testament and key Bible doctrines. Remember, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And, and are you in New Testament biblical doctrine? Are, examine yourself. Say, why? Because we're going to give account of ourselves to God. If you're not saved, why wouldn't you call upon the Lord today? I mean, God said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't done that, what would stop you? God said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that thou shalt be saved. What would keep you from doing that? Listen. For anybody trusting your good works, you will never know if you've done enough because you can't do enough. Why wouldn't you humble yourself like we sang about earlier? Listen, calling upon Christ to save you is a humbling experience because you have to basically say, I don't have any merit in myself to make me worthy of eternal life. That's a humbling thing. Not only do we need to make sure of our own salvation, go back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, Paul here says to the Corinthian believers, he says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Here's the second thing when we think about the certainty of death and judgment and the uncertainty of tomorrow. Uh, Those who are saved need to do what we can to see those in a circle of our life saved. Listen, it was a shame on these believing people that people in the circle of their life didn't have knowledge of God. You you know, listen, you and I have been given a great gift, the knowledge of the truth. Do you know how many people in the world just have little slivers of light? And you and I in America, and you and I especially in a church like this one, and many of you have been in churches like this one all your life, you've been given so much light from our Creator. Listen, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are bringing the knowledge of God into the circle of our life. At the time when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that church was a mess. Their spiritual lives were a mess. And they had failed to live and take the gospel and the knowledge of God to their world like they should have. Let me ask you, when we think about you and I winning people to the Lord and bringing the knowledge of God to the people in our life, do do you have a prayer list of names of people who are not saved? Why not? Do you ever carry gospel tracts with you and pass them out? They're free in the hallway. Why wouldn't you? If you're going to give some waitress a 20% or waiter a 20% tip, why wouldn't you put it in a gospel tract? 
Now, if you're going to give them a 5% tip, I'll give them a track from the Methodist church up the street. Do you ever make any effort to come to church visitation? Or do you ever set up any appointments with unsaved people to speak to them about Christ? Listen, it's a wonderful thing to know about Christ ourselves. But it's also wonderful to make Christ known. Hear me when I say the biggest problem in America is not Washington, nor is it Columbus, nor is it the mainstream news media. The biggest problem in America is we need more saved people. There's nothing wrong with America that more saved people who are knowledgeable about God couldn't fix. That's on us. Let me ask you, were you purpose in your heart to win someone to Christ in 23, 2023? Think about the difference that would make if everyone in here this morning won one person to Christ this year. Will you purpose in your heart to make a list of 10 lost people? Will you purpose in your heart to sometime in this year witness to those 10 people? The problem with us winning people is not, it's not that no one is interested. The problem is we don't believe anyone's interested. You're interested. Why wouldn't anybody else be? In light of the certainty of death and judgment and the uncertainty of tomorrow, those who are saved need to invest in building our relationship with God. You know, some people act as if their relationship with God ended the day they got saved. When in reality, the day they got saved, their relationship with God started. And God wants to, like Wally sang about earlier, God wants to be your Lord and your God. Our Creator wants to be your friend. He wants to be close to you. He won't force himself in your life. He won't force his will in your life. But he wants to be close to you. Will you let him be? There's a reason that Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said that he had suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done so that I may know him that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul, even though he'd spent years by that time knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord, he still wanted to know God more deeply. Do you want to know God? There's a big difference in knowing about God, which is a good start and knowing God. You see, when you know God, you've spent time with Him. When you know God, you have listened to what He has to say. How well do you know God? Have you taken the first steps as a believer to know about God, to know His omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, to know of His wondrous love, His great justice, His holiness and righteousness? Do you know about God? Have you taken the next steps to begin to 
learn of him. Remember how Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn of me. Will you purpose in your heart in this coming year to learn of him? You will learn of him in his word. You will learn of him doing what you're doing this morning, which is just simply come and follow along in the scripture and listen with your heart to someone who's preaching and teaching the Bible. That's how you learn of him. I grew up in a small town in Michigan. Uh, I wasn't really that good, but I liked to play baseball. But in my own mind, of course, I was very good, just like some of you think you are. Um, and I, I, even though I was in Michigan and should have been a Detroit Tiger fan, I love the Cincinnati Reds. It was the days of the big red machine and you, you know, I'm a bandwagon kind of a guy, and, and so they're doing good, and so I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. Living in Michigan, my favorite player was Johnny Bench. Um, maybe because I'm a geek, but I studied my baseball cards. I, I, I could have given you uh, how many doubles Johnny Bench had. I could have told you what year he came into the league. I could have told you what town he was from. I could have told you how many home runs he hit. I could have told you what his batting average was. I could have told you all kinds of things about him. But I did not know him. I hadn't spent any time with him. I didn't really know what he was like personally. And our God wants us not just to know about him. Though that is where it starts. He wants us to know In this coming year, you and I have an opportunity. In reality, January 1st isn't any different from December 30th. But in our own minds, I think it's very, it's a good thing to just decide, you know what, this coming year, I'm going to stop this and start that. And I encourage you, know God, learn of Him. You'll be glad you did. You quietly stand.